or B, they know all the dreamers who have said, you know what, I would really like to have a second home. This is something that would be important to me and my family. And either A, maybe they can't afford an entire home, you know, that's similar to their primary home. Or like we had talked about earlier, they don't want to buy the whole home. They would like to spread their investment out into different areas. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 320 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, we're going to talk about fractional home ownership. Some of you know what I'm going to say. Yep, that's Picasso. This was the Austin Allison Spencer Raskoff company that was started a few years ago uh, and makes it possible for more people to enjoy the, the pleasures, the joys, the experiences of owning a second home without having to own the entire home. Fractional ownership, either an eighth or a quarter or a half. And we have Marnie Blanco here. She is the Vice President of Industry Relations. And so we're going to chat with her about, first of all, how she got into the business. You know how we do it here. And second, we're going to talk a lot about Picasso, how it works, how it can be used by agents, really get an in-depth look at this new model. So let's get this thing started. Marnie, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you. Yes. Hello. I am really excited to chat with you. Um, I mean, Picasso exploded on the scene. I don't know any other way to say that uh, when Austin and Spencer got together. And well, of course, that makes perfect sense that those two guys would figure something out. But first, we're going to talk about you. I want to find out about you uh, specifically. You live, I think, in the Denver area. And and is that true? Yes. I'm just yep. a little bit south of Denver in Castle Pines, Colorado. All right. And born and raised in Colorado, correct? Born and raised. And I tell everyone I will live and die here as well. So, why Colorado? Tell I, I don't want to say sell me on Colorado because you probably don't want more people moving there. But what do you love about Colorado? You know, that's pretty funny. You just said that. I do always tell that. I'm like, it's people. It's horrible here. Don't no more people come. So yeah, born and raised. My family is here. And so it's all I've ever known. It's, you know, the, you know, all I've ever lived. And I am definitely a creature of habit. But I think I can be that way because every job that I have had up in my career of my 19 years now has had some travel involved in it and pretty extensive travel. So I still see, you know, all parts of the country. I still, you know, get to get out and and spread my wings, if you will. But Colorado is special to me. And number one reason is my family is here. Um, So particularly my sister, she lives about five minutes down the street from me. She has two girls. I have two girls. They're all a year apart from each other. Um, They go to school together. And so um, I always say I would live and die here with the disclaimer. If she decides for some reason to get up and move, then I would follow her. Okay. (laughs) So you both have uh, probably both saying the same thing about Colorado. So all's good. You're going to stay there. Give me, I, I ask this question a lot to people about when we talk about where they grew up. Give me the biggest misconception about your home state. You know, I think people, every time people hear Colorado, they just say skiing. That's all you do is ski. And people ask me all the time if I ski. And I did as, you know, as a younger kid. And I had to come to grips with the fact that if I'm being honest with myself, I don't like skiing and I'm not going to do it anymore. 
I really don't. And so um, I think the biggest misconception is people think, you know, Colorado is just all about skiing, where in fact, it's just more of an outdoorsy type of state. I think, you know, we obviously have our Colorado mountains that are famous for skiing, but people go there just as much in the summer and um, other seasons than they do in the winter. And so it's really a year round type of state. You know, we have 300 days of sunshine. You can't beat that. The climate is is wonderful because you get a little piece of all four seasons. You know, you get the snow, the the spring and the falls are beautiful. And then, of course, um, the the summer and the warm temperatures as well, but not horrible. Right. right. I think, you know, it's Colorado is just it's a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I've been there a few times, uh, always, always blown away by the vistas. And and then I've also I remember traveling to Grand Junction one time to help a buddy pick up a vehicle. And it's a whole different part of the state. It's not the same thing. Oh, as, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so there's lots of different places. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm sure you're a Buffalo then. You had to go to school at Colorado. I did go to see you. Um, what's funny too is in high school, I was a Buffalo. So I went to my local high school here. We were Smoky Hill Buffaloes. And so I said, once a buff, always a buff. And then I went to see you and was a Buffalo. If I'm being honest though, again, back to my sister, I just went to see you because that's where she went. Uh-huh. I didn't even actually apply to any other school. And I sit there and I think, you know, as my kids are getting older, you know, I have high school and I have a niece that's graduating even tomorrow and going to college. I was like, how, if I'm being honest, how dumb was I? What if I didn't get accepted into CU? I didn't even apply anywhere else (laughs) Um, because I'm just, again, creature habit. So if my sister did it, that's what I did. And luckily I got in and it was great and, um, you know, a great experience. So it, you know, was good to be able to stay in state, be close to home, and then also, you know, get a great education at the same time. Right. Uh, I always like to ask people, what was the plan after you graduated and and was real estate even a little blip on the radar at that time? Um, So that is a great question. So um, my college experience was a little bit different. I actually graduated from CU in three years with a double major um, because both my parents passed away while I was in college. And so um, you work hard in college. And so I was like, if I'm going to work this hard, I better start getting paid some money. You know, I needed to kind of move on with the next chapter in my life. So when I graduated, I graduated with um, a marketing and information systems major. So straight out of school, I was actually a developer. I was a programmer. And Bill, I'll tell you, I was horrible at it. It was so bad. It was a bad choice on my part. But for two years, I wrote code. And um, and then I even did it for a little bit kind of on a, like a side gig after I left um, the consulting business. So I went into telecom consulting and I wrote code and did a lot of systems integration work, a lot of just technical work within the telecom industry for about five years. Um, that started my travel gig when I was working. So I literally traveled to Kansas City for two years, Monday through Friday, every single week. And never, you know, just spent weekends at home here in Colorado. Um, my husband and I just got married. We wanted to have kids. Um, that is really difficult when you're not in the same state. And so True. <laughs> I decided at that point in time that I just needed to, to make a career change. It just so happened to be that my sister's next door neighbor was the HR director of Remax, the franchiser which is headquartered here in Colorado. Right. And so that's kind of how I got connected to Remax. There was a position open, like ironically enough, called an IT marketing manager. So literally took my two yeah. majors together and stuck them together. Um, and I, you know, I made the leap into to real estate. I didn't know anything about real estate other than the fact my mother was an agent. She actually was a Remax agent. She was an agent for a few different companies um, in her younger years. 
but I really didn't know anything about it. But I did know, I knew about marketing. I knew about, you know, technology and whatnot, obviously from my degree and my experience. And so I just made the leap. It was a little bit of a scary leap though, because in the mix of it, I took, goodness, it was probably a good 50 to 60% pay cut Mm. when I did. Um, But I knew that that lifestyle of being on the road, you know, every single week, Monday through Friday was not going to work. And so I just took the leap and I couldn't be more happy that I did. When I look back, you know, what, what a great change that was for me. How how convenient that uh, Remax just happens to be located in Denver. (laughs) I know. Isn't that crazy? It's like 15 minutes from my house. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I would think that having that coding background, even if it was not the highest level, had to be like a huge help moving forward in your career about all because yeah. you've worked at lots of companies now and a lot of it's you know there's there are dev teams and there's the marketing side of things and there's operations there's all these things working together and you you have a great opportunity to have, be the person that can drive some conversations is that kind of the way it worked yeah absolutely I think you hit the nail on the head and so yeah while I was at Remax when we were there at that point in time in real estate nobody had all the listings on their website except realtor.com. You, as a franchisor, you couldn't have them. As a broker, you couldn't have them. Um, and so a part of my journey at Remax was we built the first national website that brought on all listings in the United States. So Remax.com was the very first to do that. Um, and that was a part of my my career there is building that. And so from that, um, you know, I started with a team of two people at Remax and I ended with a team of about 40, 45 people wow. because we built the entire um, what was called the e-business team at Remax. So it handled all the technology that was outward facing to agents and brokers, whether it was Remax.com or internal tools for the agents, marketing, lead generation, et cetera. And so it, to your question, it did help me because it, it helped me understand the background of building brand new platforms and what it took in terms of not only the dev time, but you know QA, um, you know implementation and launching right. and then integration with other systems. Um, you know, that was my background for quite some time. And then I was able to marry it to the business portion of, you know, of what Remax does for agents and brokers. So it was a very unique position and it just kind of, you know, all came into place in a nice, you know, little way. And I've always been grateful to have at least a little bit of background on it because, you know, I can understand concepts and I can understand the high level. Like I said, I was horrible at actually doing it. You would never want me to touch anything. Um, but I definitely could understand, you know, the, the rhythm of technology development. Yeah. What was, what was difficult? What wasn't difficult, right? There are a lot of people, a lot of non-techie people in leadership positions that go, oh, that'd be pretty easy. Famous last words, right? To to a dev team or an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times we partnered with a lot of technology companies and I think that that helped as well, just make really good partnerships because we could speak each other's language and really understand what is what are we capable of? What's a reasonable time frame? What's to be expected? And then, you know, to all the customers and clients, the agents and brokers, you can set reasonable expectations as well yeah. um, when, you, when you kind of have the full gamut of, of what's coming down. You're brand new to the world of real estate. Was there anything that surprised you about agents, realtors, brokers, right? Because it's a different world, right? They're fully commissioned. It's just, it's so different. What was your takeaway that, you know, uh, experiencing that for the first time? Absolutely. The um, one 
particular moment that sticks in my head is I think it was maybe my second or third week on the job. Hmm. And my very first trip I took was to the Inman conference in San Francisco, because mm-hmm. they used to always have it in San Francisco um, before they even started the New York one. So they used to, it was just one, once a year in San Francisco. I was sitting there with my boss and, and mind you, I really didn't understand real estate. I had bought and sold a house of my own, you know, so from a consumer's perspective, maybe I understood, but I didn't understand, you know, the true role and depths of an agent and a broker and how those are different and what topics are important to them and um, or challenging. And so during the conversation, that's right when um, a lot of the travel agent sites were getting taken down and replaced by the internet, right? That's when Expedia was coming, Hotwire, et cetera. And that all the conversation of this is going to happen to real estate agents. They're going to be replaced by the internet. And so um, they kept talking about all the agents and what they're going to do. And I remember leaning over to my boss and saying, does anybody just ask about like the consumer, like the home buyer or seller? And she's like, oh, no, no, we don't talk about that. We just talk about. And so that was eye opening to me because because that was the only hat that I understood. I didn't understand anything else. Um, And so I think it's really interesting. And now my career to see how that's come full circle, right? You know, everything is about the consumer. You know, that's the North Star to every company, every business. Um, And, but it just, it took a while to get there, I think, for sure. Yeah. You, uh, I was in the title business around when Dotloop launched. I mean, it was really groundbreaking at the time, just fantastic. And then I remember um, connecting and and meeting, I don't think Austin will remember, but saying hi to Austin and Inman, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know he was in Cincinnati and doing his thing and he was really getting this company rolling. Somehow, uh, Marnie, who will not leave Colorado, ends up convincing Austin that you can work for Dot Loop and stay at home. How'd you do this? Yes. Um, that came about in a, in a pretty interesting way. Um, so I had been at Remax for about 10 years and that's where I'd met Austin. He was always trying to sell Remax on a bigger, you know, enterprise deal, a bigger. Mm-hmm vision of how to use transaction management. At the time, transaction management wasn't, people didn't even pay attention to it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know it. Everything was website, CRM, lead generation. Um, and so I, you know, was familiar with it, obviously, because I had worked with them and, you know, they had had a decent you know amount of Remax companies using transaction management using Dotloop, but it was definitely a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, though, I decided to actually leave Remax and go back to telecom. For about six months, I had an old colleague of mine um, just kind of talking in my ear saying, hey, this is a good opportunity. Come back, come back. And, you know, after 10 years of doing the same thing, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm ready for something new. Bill, I tell you, if I look back in my career, it was it was the worst decision I made. So I left Remax. Um, I went to a, back to telecom. And within 48 hours of that job, I knew that that was not where I belonged at all. And so that was a really hard time in my career because I had always been on a very, very good path. I had always been very successful at what I was doing. I, you know, I just had a very clear vision of where I was going. Um, and so I had to make a really dis- hard decision. I had to go to a colleague and a friend and say, you know what, this isn't going to work. And I did. I waited for about a month or two. I tried. I tried. I tried. And I just knew this isn't going to work. So I went in and gave my notice even after about a month. And said, you know what, I'm going to give you about a month and a half notice, two months. We we were kind of in this little mini project. I will finish that project out so you have something to to work with. But during that time, I had gone back to all my contacts in the real estate industry and said, you know what, I think it's I just need to be in the real estate industry. And Austin was one of them. 
And so when I started talking to him, I said, what had happened is some news release came out about dot loop. And I was like, oh my gosh. And Remax, I was like, I can't believe it. Austin won Remax. He got, you know, he got Remax and it wasn't quite that it was something a little bit smaller, but that's just yeah. started the conversation and the company dot loop was growing, you know, pretty quickly at that time needed more um, experience from industry players. And so I joined dot loop in the, you know, kind of in the very early stages and, um, that was crazy because I had never been in a startup world. You know, I had yeah. worked for a few companies in telecom, worked for Remax, very established companies, but I had never been in a startup world. And so that was my first entree into to that world. And that's that's an interesting ride. Decisions can be made quickly. It's not like turning a freighter, mm-hmm. right? All that, all those analogies are absolutely correct, right? Absolutely, yes, yeah. 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 And and you have to learn to fail. Oh. And that was, that was hard for me. Like I, I don't fail. Why would I, why would I want to do something if I'm going to fail? Right. And so that's, that was something, cause you just have to try things and you have to f- keep trying until you figure out the right path. And then, you know, eventually did obviously and dot loop became a very successful company and, you know, sold to, to uh, Zillow. Right. Um, I was there for about four years. So went through that entire acquisition process with Austin um, and Zillow and, then stayed about another four years before now I'm over at Picasso. So it was about about an eight year run there. Let's talk about Picasso. Networked platforms, right? I heard that phrase, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago, maybe is that maybe I'm timing some, I don't know, but, but Uber's a network platform, right? And, and um, uh, match.com is a network platform. People that have something that other people need and someone in the middle just makes it real simple. And so at its, at its core, that's really what we're looking at with Picasso, right? Another network platform that solves a problem for, yeah. for a consumer. And it's just, it's just fantastic. But I want to, f- just for the people that maybe don't know exactly how this thing all plays out or haven't been paying that maybe as close attention as I have, what is just kind of lay out the, the process that I'll, I say Picasso's perfected. Yeah, absolutely. So the entire mission of Picasso is to make second home ownership more accessible and more enjoyable for more people. So the concept is pretty simple. We took, you know, a decade old do do it yourself type of model of mm-hmm. friends and family getting together, finding a second home and owning the home together as co-owners. And so what we've done is we've just modernized that platform mm-hmm. and we have built out um, a model so that people can have access to it and they don't have to go find friends and family. Because as we all probably know, if you've ever done it, it gets real messy real fast. Yep. You know, so-and-so wants to sell. You don't want them to sell. How do I get in the house? Wait a minute. You have Christmas. I'd want to have Christmas. You had it last year. And um, that gets real tricky with friends and family. So the model itself, uh, we come in and we buy high-end luxury homes, typically about two to three times median home value. We put that home into an LLC and then we find up to eight owners per home. So you can own an eighth, a quarter, or up to a half of a home. And we're in about 35, 40 markets throughout the US. And then we also just launched Spain and London as well, just back in the fall. And so now we have a global presence as well. And then pretty soon, um, in about the next, I would say 30 to 60 days, we will be launching Mexico in Cabo. Wow. Wow. Like as, as an old title guy, 20 years with Fidelity National Financial, yeah. like that we, we had uh, deeds all the time that had with fractional ownership. And it's, yeah, it's, it's super common yeah, in, it's in the new. title space, not even new, not even close, yeah. but it's, it was the, it's, it's the, everything else that was built around that, right. Is, which is what, what we're going to chat about. Yeah. I have to ask you about the name Picasso because it sounds eerily close to Pablo Picasso spelled much differently, but yes. kind of said the same. Is there a connection between those two? 
There is. It's it's kind of paying homage to Pablo Picasso and okay. his style of art and the fluidity of it and the collaboration of it. Uh, um, and that's kind of how it built into to the name of our company. Um, we did not necessarily start out as Picasso. The company has gone through a few names. And I think some early you know agents and or owners that we've worked with actually worked with us under a different name before uh, Picasso came to be. And so, but Picasso is just very fitting. It's very fitting for the style of the company and the mission of the company going forward. Yeah, that's great. There have been a few bumps in the road. I, I'll call them bumps. I don't think they were massive issues or problems, but they they made the they made the news whether it was on Inman or you know where where else. Um, but you know the NIMBY problem, the not in my backyard culture, it, it, who would hate to have an Airbnb anywhere near them and by and probably inside their CCNRs or. Uh, their restrictions there, they're not allowed. So no right. big deal. They'll, they don't have to worry about it. However, there's nothing stopping um, a property being sold in those communities to to somebody who um, is then going to have multiple owners. Multiple owners are okay. Uh, first of all, I don't think that's, it's not even close to an Airbnb experience. Well, let's talk about how that's been, how that's been going. Yeah. So we, um, like you said, in the news, we definitely had a, you know, a market pop up where mm-hmm. it, there was a very, very strong stop Picasso type of feel in, in the community. And you're right. It's people coming in thinking um, it's an Airbnb. There's going to be a different person in and out of this house every three days, four days. I don't want that next to me. I don't want that near me. Um, and so there was a lot of education to be done, not only, you know, with agents and brokers in the industry, but then now also, you know, the public and the community right. and the neighborhoods, getting them to understand that these are people who probably have been coming to your community for years and they just want something to call their own. They want true ownership, you know, and somewhere that they can come back, somewhere they can bring their families and create experiences. And it's not a party house and it's not, you know, this short term rental. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, our owners aren't even allowed to rent their their Picassos. And that is that is a part of our operating agreement. So it's really supposed to be for true experiences for, you know, our owners, their fan, you know, friends and families who might mm-hmm. join them when they come stay at their homes. Um, but it has been a it there was a some bumpy roads. There was some really, really um antiquated thinking in these communities. There was some, you know, to be honest, some pretty nasty thinking in terms of people are, you know, they just, they didn't want different type of people next to them. They Mm. would flat out say, you know what, this house is empty for, you know, 10, 11 months out of the year. And that's how we like it. And not really being able to think bigger from a sustainability perspective that, yeah, that might sit well with you, but that's not good for the community. That's not good for the, for the neighborhoods and, you know, the, the surrounding areas. And a lot of these towns are struggling. You know, they were struggling. You know, they didn't couldn't keep restaurants open. They couldn't keep any type of community in the area because they just didn't want anyone living there. And that's, you know, it's just that's not our philosophy at Picasso. You know, we believe that sustainability is important. Um, utilization of our homes is at about eighty-seven to ninety percent wow. um, versus you know twenty percent of a mm. typical second home. And so we believe that's better for a community. It's better for um, it gives opportunity. Um, it even can help, you know, some housing affordability issues because we're not in that mainstream housing. We're more on, you know, the higher end luxury homes. Yeah. Um, and it brings, you know, it brings resources to, to a community and it helps build it. Is, is could be a, a wonderful thing for everyone in the area. Right. And do you see that happening? Do you see these people, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're only there for whatever that two months or the six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, but 
when they're there, they're very active and part of the part of what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of our owners, you know, like I said, they're people who've been probably coming there for ages. Yeah. So they have their favorite restaurant. They have their favorite bike path that they like to go ride. They have, you know, their favorite park that they want to go to. We have, um, we have some owners in Palm Springs. It was pretty interesting. It's always a, a joy for us when we get to talk to our owners and say, you know, why is Picasso a good fit, you know, for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have it. So they have a place in Palm Springs and they've been there, you know, half a dozen times or so. And so they've started to kind of get to know some of the neighbors around there so much so that they have become such good friends with one of the neighbors that they go vacation together now in different places throughout the United States. So it really is, you know, it's not, it's not this typical, like I said, short-term rental type of model that people are scared of. And I think it will take time. I think it will take a little bit of time for people just to experience it and, and have an understanding. Unfortunately, I think that there is a, um, a thought process out there by some of these neighbors that if you can't afford the whole home, you don't deserve to be here, mm. um, which is an unfortunate type of thinking. Right. So much so that even I would say half of our owners can't afford the whole home. They just okay. choose not to put their investment in that way because they know they're not going to be there all the time. And so we now have quite a, a large group of owners that have multiple Picassos. So instead of having one home, they have, you know, they have one in Malibu, they have one in Aspen, they have one in Miami. And so that they can, you know, they can share their experiences, you know, around and travels into different areas and not be stuck in one place. That's awesome. And so the education just of the model and the opportunities that it opens up for people is just a part of the process. Another big piece has got to be that you're handling a Picasso, you're handling all the logistics, you're handling... Yep. All of that upkeep and all the things that, you know, a neighbor would be nervous about, it's taken care of. It is. And it's taken care of, you know, top to bottom, you know, right. the most high quality, high class. Um, we have a, another owner in Malibu we love to always talk about is, you know, when we come into the home, when Picasso buys a home, we purchase the home, we put a little bit of design work into it. You know, we try to buy pretty turnkey homes, but we do come in and we put kind of a Picasso stamp on it. We have internal designers and, um, you know, people that will come in and make that home pretty special. And so we have this owner in Malibu. He said, you know what? I love Picasso. They do everything I don't want to do. I don't want to outfit the place. I don't want to maintain it. I don't want to clean it. I don't want to do the yard. They take care of it all. And so it's such a unique and special model for people, um, you know, who just want to have great experiences and enrich their lives. Yeah. We have to talk about the opportunity for agents to work with Picasso because, Look, we're, you're selling, you know, a, a fraction of the, you know, either you said it, it could be an eighth or a quarter or a half, whatever it is, there could be a, an agent attached to that, can't there? Absolutely. And so I love that's the, my favorite part to talk about, obviously, being in the industry and working yeah. with agents and brokers. Um, it's such an amazing opportunity for them in a few different ways. First and foremost, inventory, you know, is a challenge for everybody across, you know, any market you look at right now. Mm -hmm. And so when Picasso comes in, we obviously, we buy one and turn it into eight. And so we're creating inventory for these agents and these brokers. But when we do that, we know that we need buyers and we know that the agents have the buyers. They're the ones who either A, know second homeowners, people who Mm -hmm. have homes today and maybe don't want the whole home, but a Picasso would be a better model for them. Or B, they know all the dreamers who have said, you know what, I would really like to have a second home. This is something that would be important to me and my family. And either A, maybe they can't afford an entire home, you know, that's similar to their primary home. Or like we had talked about earlier, they don't want to buy the whole home. They would like to spread their investment out into different areas. And so these agents know those clients. And so for us to be able to form relationships and partnerships with agents is extremely important to Picasso. 
And the way that it works is an agent can bring us a buyer for any Picasso home in the United States or Europe. And that's a little bit of a mind shift for yeah. agents, right? Because they're like, they're very localized. They're mm -hmm. very, you know, in my market. Um, and so that has been a big education point for us is that it really opens up a whole new world for these agents because what they do is they bring their buyer, we partner them with our sales team and they get paid a 3% commission on the share price. So if the share price is 500,000, it's a million, it's 2 million, they get paid the full 3% on that share price. And really they don't even do a lot of the transaction. Our sales team takes care of it for them. Um, our sales team are, you know, are the ones who understand the purchasing agreement, the scheduling application, um, how the whole model works and the operating agreement. And so they really guide the, the buyer, the client through the model, and then the agent gets paid a, a commission for it. So it's a huge additive opportunity for agents right. to, to add to their business, whether they're, you know, work in second home markets or not. And so that has been something that we are, you know, is our mission, especially for this year is to let people know that our listings are theirs to sell. Any listing of Picasso is theirs to sell. Wow. What agent knows that they can go outside of their state, right? Yeah. Every state's its own little kingdom when it comes to real estate yeah. and just having the opportunity to be, you know, telling people, Hey, let's look at these listings over here in California or down here in Florida. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. And, you know, a typical mindset of an agent, because that's the way it always is, is agent to agent referrals, mm -hmm. right? I'm in Colorado. I have a buyer in Miami. I go find an agent in Miami help, you know, to help out with that buyer. But th this is different. They can just bring them straight to Picasso and we will handle the, the transaction for them. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I did not know that. I'm sure a lot of people don't it know. It is. That. It's, it's very, it's very mind opening when we, we start yeah. talking about that. It's, it's a big, big eye opener. Cool. Let's look ahead. What what's is there something that's next for Picasso? You mentioned Spain and London, Mexico. That's huge. I mean, I'm, yes. there are so many different markets around the world that you probably want to be a part of. Yes. Oh goodness. Yeah. the The expansion map that we have is is very broad. Um, so we definitely will be looking to expand into more markets, and then we'll also be looking to take our existing markets we have today and broaden them even further. Hmm. So right now, you know, we really focus on the high-end luxury homes, um, but our buyers, the demand we're getting from buyers is saying that's great, but we also want more price points. We want price points that are, you know, maybe more in the two or three hundred thousand dollar range instead of the eight, nine, a million dollar range. Right. And so, being able to have more of those opportunities for more people is all a part of the mission. So, being able to hit, you know, again, second home ownership for anyone, regardless of their budget, their location, um, and so that expansion is really the plan going yeah. forward. You mentioned families earlier. A family could use Picasso. It would take care of all the other issues. Has that happened yet where someone's come in and said, hey, there's three of us. We're just going to use you. Um, absolutely. So that, and I don't know if it necessarily starts that way, but what happens is one person comes and finds Picasso and then they talk their brother and sister and aunt into buying the other shares. Okay. And so, yeah, I think I could see, um, you know, off the top of my head, we definitely have a couple of homes that I think the entire ownership of the home is a family. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because a lot of our owners are anonymous and they don't necessarily know the other owners in the home and they prefer it that way. Mm, some okay. of them do. We have some homes though, that the owners, they want to know everybody else who's in the home and we can either, you know, kind of help facilitate that as, you know, as a property management of the home. 
and or they get really clever. They'll leave little notes in the house for go. the next owners, or they'll start like a Facebook group and say, hey, join in here. And then they all kind of get to know each other. Um, so every home is a little bit different in terms of you know how it works, but it's great options for everybody depending on how they like to live. That's great. Yeah. Marnie, I'm watching the clock because I've, I know you've got to get back to work. And so I want to ask you the same final question I've asked every guest, and that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? Oh, I love this question. I've been in this business for 19 years. And I, I don't like to admit that because that definitely starts to age me a little bit. But I think the biggest thing that I have seen from all the agents that I have worked with through my years is there's one old saying kind of that I think is tried and t- true. And that's, you have to learn to earn. And agents have to continually keep learning. Um, you know, a lot of successful agents will get into a good rhythm. They have a good book of business. They have their, you know, sphere of influence. But if they're, if you stop learning, it will eventually, you'll stop earning as well, because there's always like Picasso, it's a brand new model. You've got to learn about new options, not only for you, but for your clients. Um, there's new technology out there all the time that can help you, you know, whether it's transaction management, a CRM, um, new lead gen, social media, um, there's always something out there that could enhance your business. So as long as you're open to learning uh, continually, I think that you'll be successful as an agent. Marnie, if somebody wants to reach out, maybe an agent wants to reach out and get some more information about Picasso, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Uh, the best way is to go to Picasso.com and you can see a lot of things. One, you can see all of our listings there and that's what's most important. Get familiar sure. with the listings and and see what might fit for your clients. But if you want to learn more specifically about the program, go to Picasso.com backslash agents. And what's unique and helpful in that particular part of the site is we have an entire agent playbook that as an agent, you can go and download. It will give you email scripts. It will give you um, social media assets. It will give you basically a play-by-play step process of how to introduce Picasso to your clients. So help, how do you put it into your business model? How do you add it to what you're already doing? And then also offer it as a good opportunity to your clients. And I think that that's just what's really important is, is being able to have the conversation at, at, you know, as an agent to have the conversation with your clients. Because probably with the pace of our marketing and our brand awareness, your clients are going to know about Picasso. So it's really important as an agent to make sure that you are well-versed in it and and can guide them. When they ask about it, you better know about it. You better know about it. Exactly. Exactly. Marty, this has been great. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I don't know if you follow hockey, but go abs, I guess, for you. Yes, it's a very, very big topic in our household. Yes. (laughs) Continue success there unless they meet the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is, I live in St. Pete. So oh, okay. Fair enough. Sorry about that. But thanks so much for your time. It was This was a lot of fun. Bill, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.